So for the last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've been uh, talking about living your life with your hair on fire. And we've been seeing what it looked like for this Acts 2 church and what it looks like for us to have the Holy Spirit actually living inside of us. And in Acts 2, when that first happened, when the Holy Spirit came to live in those people and the fire was going on above their heads, some really amazing stuff happened. They had all these really weird manifestations, right? So they heard this crazy wind noise and people are speaking languages that they don't know and their hair's on fire. But there was a lot of other stuff too. It was a supernatural experience. When we say your hair is on fire, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, God, God coming to live in us and resting on us. And when that happens, there's gonna be some supernatural stuff going on. And we see a lot of it with them. We see that they had supernatural generosity and supernatural boldness and supernatural persistence and supernatural compassion. And you know what I really noticed this week is that church particularly had supernatural unity. Acts 4.32 says, all the believers were united all the believers were united in heart and mind. That is a supernatural event because this was all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, right? All kinds of belief systems, all kinds of ideologies, and they were together a lot, right? You know how sick you are, the people in the room right now, because we have to get together once a week, right? They says they were in the temple every day together, and no record of them choking each other, right? They were also together in their homes, taking the Lord's Supper and serving each other and doing life groups together. They were just together all the time, and they were really different people, right? We got Peter, right? Peter was a fisherman, probably not a super well-educated guy, but a real type A personality. We got Paul, also a type A personality, but super educated, right? And you talk about political division. You think there's political division in the world today? Look at Jesus's guys, right? He's got Matthew. Matthew works for the Roman government, and he's got Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? That was like a fringe political terrorist organization that wanted to overthrow Rome. And the most important ways that they did that was through public throat slashings. So how are Peter and Paul on the same team? How are Matthew and Simon the Zealot not killing each other? How did all of these people all work together? How did they love each other? And how did they unite? And how did they become one body? We need to know because we got all kinds of division in our world, in our country, in our families, in our church. Because the church really is kind of like what we say about America, right? It's like a melting pot. And it's all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of cultures all being like shoved together and just trying not to kill each other. And you know what? Your family's the same way, right? Let me tell you something. If you've got kids of marrying age, brace yourself. Okay, because it's one thing for two people to become one. But I'm telling you, for two families to become one, it is, it, that takes prayer right there. I mean, that requires a miracle because there are just, there's so many things to choose sides over. There are so many things to, 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 to divide over. I don't know if you've noticed this, but some people are black. Have you noticed that? And their life experience and their culture, and their families 
have taught them some things that they know to be true. And I don't know if you know this, some people are white. And their families and their experience and their culture has taught them that some things that are true. And those two truths are not exactly always the same. And then it gets really messy because some white people have traditionally black values and some black people have traditionally white values. Then it gets really messy because everybody's not either black or white. Some people are brown. Right? What are we going to do? About, I'm red. What are we going to do? The lighting people hate me. Right? What are we, we going to do about that? And it's, not, it's just a mess. And it's not just race. There are a million things to divide over. Some Christians are politically conservative. And some Christians are politically liberal. Some Holy Spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-thumping, hair-on-fire people wear masks everywhere they go. And some spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-thumping, hair-on-fired Christians don't wear masks everywhere they go. There are some really smart, really some nice people that have been vaccinated. And there are some really smart, really nice people that will never be vaccinated. We're, there's a lot of things to divide over, right? Even in the church, we're in the same room, man. We're in the same room, and there's a lot of stuff for us to divide over in here. Even this morning in worship, the way we worship, right? We had some people this morning that were singing like this. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. And then we had some people, this is what heaven feels like. And they're all over the place. I mean, Melissa, listen, Melissa is one chorus away from a head spin up here. I'm telling you, she's any day. I don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> they're different people. We're all different people. We're all crammed together, right? It's an interdenominational church. Even in like doctrinal stuff, we've got some people that were baptized by being dunked. And we got some people that were baptized by being sprinkled. And we got some people that were baptized by being poured on, right? We're like a crazy, messy mashup of Methodists and Catholics and Lutherans and just straight out heathens. You know, it's all kinds of people, man. We got, we got Apple people and PC people. We've got iPhoneers and Samsungers in the same room together. We got people that love flour tortillas, and we got people that love corn tortillas. And the corn tortilla people aren't saved, but we still love them. <laughs> There's a lot to divide over, right? In our country, in our families, in our church, we have people on both sides of everything, from racism to politics to whether the toilet paper should roll off the top or the bottom, right? There's a lot to divide over. So unity, unity's hard. Unity's hard. In fact, it's too hard. It's too hard. So if we're going to have unity, it's going to have to be supernatural. It's going to require the Holy Spirit it's gonna require us to have our hair on fire. And I think we, we gotta start this thing by asking, do we want unity? I mean, is that even, is, do we even want it? And I'm not talking about like accepting sin or some weird universalism where we all have our own path to God and you can have your truth and I can have my truth. That doesn't work. Because what if your truth is that it's okay to kill people that have my truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. So we don't get to decide 
what the truth is. I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that we should all be the same. I'm not saying that we should all believe exactly the same or behave exactly the same or be identical copies of each other and agree on everything. That's not unity. That's uniformity. And God intentionally made us all different. It wasn't a mistake. God intentionally made us all different. He did that on purpose. So what I'm saying is as Christians and as families, in this, in this family, do we... Do we want to be together? Do we want to have harmony? Do we want to live in unity? And as Jesus followers, I think we do. And at least I think we should. And so today I'm going to give you three reasons why we should not only want unity, we should work for unity. Here comes reason number one. It's good practice. Let me hear you say, unity is good practice. How many of you are planning on going to heaven? Not now, I mean, eventually. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yeah, so we pray this all the time, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've identified it before. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place, enjoying God's blessing under God's rule. And God's kingdom is someday gonna become a reality. Can you picture that? Can you get behind that? Because that's where we're going to spend eternity. In a multiracial, multicultural, unbelievably diverse world of people. All individuals. And yet, all completely together. Right? Different, but not divided. Because we're united by Christ. Can you picture that? I think John can help us. In Revelation 7, John is looking into the future, and he's seeing God's kingdom come, right? He is seeing heaven and earth coming together, and here's what he says. I saw a vast crowd, Revelation 7, 9. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, stop, this word nation is the word ethnos. Can you think of any words that come from ethnos? Ethnicity, ethnic, right? Ethnos means people group. From every, I saw a vast crowd, two crowds, crowd. from every people group, every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes. Stop. What's that talking about? Being clothed in white robes means we've accepted the salvation of Jesus. That's what it means to be clothed in a white robe. So here, let's talk about it again. I saw this huge crowd, too many to count, from every people group, every tribe, every people, every language, standing in front of the throne and before the, the Lamb, and all together they were clothed in white robes. They were united by what? They were united by Jesus. When God's kingdom is finally come in heaven, we will have unity. We might as well get some practice in now. Second reason, we should not only want unity, we should work for unity. The Bible calls for it. How many of you go to a Bible church? Just quick show of hands. It's the first B. <laughs> Community <laughs> Bible Church Boulevardy, right? That's not just like some arbitrary word because we're trying to fill in the acronym of CBCB. That means something. It's not just what we put on our T-shirts or our coffee mugs or bumper stickers or something. It means that we align ourselves to the Bible and not the other way around. Amen? Amen? We align our lives to the Bible, not the other way around. It means that we see that this, this is God's word to us. We're Jesus followers, right? And Jesus said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments, and a whole bunch of his commandments are in here. And a whole bunch of these commandments deal with unity. I'm gonna give you a couple of them. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.8 says, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. Romans 15.5 says, may God help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Is that enough? You want more? I got some more. Romans 15.6 says, we should join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God. Romans 14.19 says, let us aim for harmony in the church. Philippians 1.27 says, we should be standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together. Colossians 3.14 says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Galatians 3.28 says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or even male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, then the God of love will be with you. Psalm 133.1 says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Romans 12.16 is for those of us that are a little slow on the uptake and we need a little more in a straight direction. It says, live in harmony with each other. As a Bible church, would you say the Bible calls for division? or unity? unity? Good answer. We can go to the next one. The third reason we work for unity. It's what Jesus wants. Unity is what Jesus wants. How many of you consider yourself Jesus followers? You're completely loyal to him. He's your king. He's your Lord. Listen, you trust him so much that you just want whatever he wants. Now let me see him. Okay, everybody else don't listen to this, but you people that raise your hand, what do you think he wants? What do you think he wants? I mean, let's Let's see if we can find out. Just before he died, literally right before Judas and the soldiers came, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed for us. That's pretty cool. Right before he was to be tortured and humiliated and betrayed and beaten and killed, he knew what was coming. And the way he spent his time in preparation for that was he prayed for us. And do you know what he prayed for? What would you pray for? If it was your last prayer, for the people that you love the most, for your family, for your friends, if you had one prayer left, how would you spend it? You know what Jesus prayed for? He prayed that we would have unity. He didn't pray that we would be happy or healthy or rich or thin. He didn't even pray that we'd have great theology or that we'd have perfect understanding or that we would never sin. The last thing Jesus prayed for us before he died was that we would have unity. Here it is. It's John 17, 21. This is Jesus. I mean, get the picture, man. He knows what's coming. The soldiers are on the way. He knows that, right? This is his last prayer. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and love them as much as you love me. And then Judas and the soldiers came and they took him away. Jesus' last prayer for us was that we would have unity. That's what he wants. And if we are truly Jesus' followers, that's what we should want too. So I think as Christians, we should want unity. We should even work for unity because it's good practice. 
for when the kingdom comes. It's what the Bible calls for. It's what Jesus wants. But it's not easy. Huh. It's not easy because in our families and even in our church, we have divisions over things like race and politics and what we think about COVID and little theological things and what version of the Bible should we read and should women be pastors and people say, yeah, unity sounds good till you bring that stuff up, right? And then those are pretty big dividers, right? Those are big divisions. Those are deep divisions, but can I tell you something? This first century church that we're talking about, man, they had much deeper divisions to overcome. So I'm going to ask you to think about where that New Testament church began, okay? These, these were, it all started with Abraham, right? God chose Abraham, and he said, you and your family are going to be my people, right? And Abraham's family worshipped Yahweh. That was the Jews. That was God, the Israelites. That was God's people. And then some of those Jews followed Jesus. They were Jews for Jesus, right? They were Messianic Jews, that was the beginning of the Jesus movement. And so now these Jews have said, well, great, we were going this way, we're just worshiping Yahweh, and we're related to Abraham, and that's great. Okay, now we're shifting, now we're going this way, we're following Jesus. This is the Jesus movement, this is the way, this is the church, right, this is Christianity. Then the movement got traction and started growing, and everybody started coming, and then a bunch of Gentiles started growing, joining in. So there was one huge divide in the minds of the first century Jews. And it wasn't iPhone or Samsung, right? It wasn't politics or philosophy or race or who gets vaccinated or tiny little theological things. It was Jews versus Gentiles. It was literally, it was a huge division. It was way bigger than the stuff we're talking about. Way bigger than gun control. Way bigger than any division that we think is so deep and so important. This was God's people versus everybody else. This is the people that God chose versus everybody. It was a huge division. And listen, when Jesus came, that division was 2,000 years old. 2,000 years the world's been divided like that. Our country's only existed for less than 250 years. 2,000 years. They've had this incredible deep division. This, this division was a line of demarcation between God's chosen people and everybody else. And that division is way deeper than your political party. It's way deeper even than your race. The Jews saw Gentiles as the people that God rejected. The Jews saw Gentiles as, as unsavable, doomed to hell, heathens, right, pagans. A good Jew wouldn't even go in the house of a Gentile. And so the idea of Gentiles joining us in our faith as Jews, it was, just, it was just unthinkable to the Jews. And they all felt that way. They all felt that way. Even Peter, he's like the hero, and even Peter felt that way. So let's take a quick look at the story of how he came to change his view about this deep division when he saw how God viewed unity and division. It's going to be kind of a long read. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to skip forward a little because it's pretty long, but uh, keep up if you can. This is um, Acts 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there was a Roman army officer, even worse than a Gentile, 
right? A Roman army officer named Cornelius, and he was a good dude, devout, God-fearing man. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly to God. One day he had a vision, and this vision, an angel came to him, and in verse 4, the angel says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering, so send some men to Joppa and summon a man there named Simon Peter. He's staying with another guy named Simon who's a tanner who lives near the seashore. So he did. Cornelius sends these guys. Verse 9, the next day as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet, there were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Verse 14, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, did not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And the same vision was repeated three times. And then that sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Verse 17, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And just then, the men that were sent by Cornelius found his house. Verse 19, so meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I've sent them. Verse 24, so they all take off, right? Peter's going with these messengers. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day, and Cornelius was waiting for him, and he had called together relatives and close friends, and as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him, but Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and they went inside. There were many others who were assembled. And Peter told them, you know, it's against our law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius goes, well, four days ago I had this vision and this angel said, you know, to send for you. And so, yeah, now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Verse 34, this is really important. And Peter said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, what does nation mean? Come on, people. What does nation mean? People group, right? I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every people group. He accept those that fear him and do what is right. And then he shared Jesus with them and they got baptized and their hair caught on fire and here we are today. But I want to really pay attention to this verse, 34 and 35. Peter said, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism in every ethnos, in every nation. He accepts those that fear him and do what's right. So now I'm going to show you a little demonstration of this. And I've got an artist rendition of Peter's view of the world. So this represents all the people in the world, I guess, or all the people that were trying to be part of the church. And so I'm going to talk about how Peter views them, right? So Peter sees them, they're divided up a little bit, right? So like the top shelf people here, these are probably like your Pharisees. Right? These are really good Jews, man. They've been circumcised. They eat the right food. They keep the holidays, whatever. These are good Jews. And these are like marginal Jews, I guess. They're, I mean, they're Jews. They're related to Abraham, but they're not really keeping the holidays, and they're not really eating the right food, and they don't really give enough money to the church and all that. And then these are your Gentiles. But these are good Gentiles. This is Cornelius, right? He's a God-fearing man. It says he gives money to the poor. He prays to God every day. And these are your kind of crummy Christians, 
right? These are losers. These are bad Christians, non-Jews, Gentiles. And then this group down here, this is going to be your Roman soldiers, right? This is your Samaritans. This is the people that Peter hated. Okay, so if that's the spectrum, where is Peter's line where it's, you're okay, you're acceptable by God? I mean, certainly the good Jews are in, don't you think? Good Jews are in. I'm thinking the bad Jews are still in, right? Because they're still connected to Abraham. And they got all those promises, the Abrahamic covenant and all that, right? So they're good to go. Here's where we run into trouble, right? I'm thinking Peter sees it like this. These people are acceptable by God. These people aren't. But in this vision, Peter learned a really, really important thing. And that is that there is only one division. There's the people that, what does it say? That fear God and do what's right. And then there's everyone else. And that God accepts people from every group. There are going to be some Jews that are good, that are with God. They fear God and they do what's right and they're in and acceptable to God. And there's going to be some Jews, even good Jews, that aren't. And there's the same with their kind of mediocre Jews and the same with the Gentiles, all the way down to the real losers down there. There's even going to be some of those people that weren't even good Gentiles, right? But they're with God. Why? Because they fear God and they do what's right. And here's the reason I think this is important for us now. I think all of us see all of these divisions, right? Okay, well, we got black people and white people, and we've got Republicans and Democrats, and we got maskers and demaskers, right? We've got people that are vaccinated and people that aren't. We got homeschoolers and not homeschoolers. We got Samsungers and those sinful iPhoneers, right? We've got all of these different kinds of people. Who's in? Who's Who's in? Who's acceptable to God? And the answer is in every people group. God accepts people that fear him and do what's right in every people group. There are people that are accepted. That's how God sees it. I think that's, that's how Peter came to see it. And I think that's, that's how we need to see it. There's only one dividing line. You're saved or you're not. And if someone is a Christian and they are saved, then they're our brother, they're our sister, and we need to love them and respect them and honor them and speak highly of them. Philippians 1.27 says we should stand together with them in one spirit, striving together for the faith regardless of our differences. And listen, on the other side of the line, if someone is not a Christian, then we need to have such unity we need to have such love between us that it's irresistible to them that they can't help themselves that they're sucked in to christianity so that they can join us on the saved side of the line john 13 34 jesus says he says look i'm giving you a new commandment love each other just like i've loved you you should love each other verse 35 your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not your theology, right? Not how smart you are about the Bible. Not these bold political stands that you take. What's gonna show people me through you, what's gonna show the world me through your behavior and who you are, what's gonna show the world that you're my disciple, what's gonna mark you as one of mine so that people see me in you is your love for one another. 
people will see Jesus in us and be drawn to him by our love for each other, by our unity. Jesus' followers, there are a million things for us to divide over. And there's new ones every day. Watch the news, man. There's a million things for us to divide over. But the thing that unites us is so much greater than the thing that divides us. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to ask you to participate with me in a little experiment, okay? First of all, think of your ethnicity, okay? Think of your race or even what country you came from, your nationality or whatever. Can you think of it? Some of you are thinking, oh, well, I'm American. Oh, well, I'm Caucasian. Oh, I'm Hispanic. That's fine. Think of uh, even nationally. Well, I'm one-third German and two-thirds Polish and one-fourth American Eskimo or whatever you are. Can you think of yours? Can you, can you think in your mind of how you would say it in like three or four words? Can you? Okay, I'm going to count to three. I want you to say it, but I want you to say it loud and be proud, okay? Okay, ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Great job. I could not have done better than that because what I want you to see is there is no harmony in that, right? There's no unity in that. All that does is divide us. So let's talk about... Um, your vax status. I'm coining that phrase today, right? Have you been vaccinated? Have you not been vaccinated? And if you've been vaccinated, are you a Pfizer person? Are you a Moderna person, right? What are you? Think of what you are. Have you been vaccinated once? Have you got them both? Are you never gonna get vaccinated no matter what they tell you, right? Are you waiting to get vaccinated but you can't get in? Think of how you are. Can you think of your status? Think of your vax status. Remember that word, man. I'm going global with this one, right? Vax, think of your vax status. Can you say it in like two or three words? Okay, I'm gonna count to three. Say it out loud and proud. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> I just have the best job. Think about your worship style. Are you a holy hymner? Are you? I mean, do you like the old stuff? Are you, are you the person that's, that worships with your hands in your lap? It's just that's what you call yourself a holy hymner. Just call it what it is, right? Are you one of these crazy head spinners like Kelly and Melissa up here? Are you one of these crazy helicopter people when you worship? Or are you maybe in the middle? Or maybe you'd say you're two-thirds helicopter and one-third holy hymner, okay? Think of what you are. Can you put it in two or three words? Can you think of it? I'll count to three. Say it out loud and proud. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Again, there's no unity in this, right? There is no, all it does is divide us. Surely church can help, right? Surely our denomination can hold us together, right? So now I'm gonna ask you to think of the church you were raised in or the church you went to last uh, and the denomination. Oh, well, I was a Methodist. I was Lutheran. I was Catholic. I was a devil worshiper, whatever you were, right? And if you can, name the church. That's even better. Oh, I was a member of the 4th Street Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, or whatever it was. Think of your church. Ready? I'm going to count to three. Be proud now. Think of your pastor. Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> the worst of all, right? That's why people hate religion. Okay, so all of those things bring division. None of those things. Not our political stance, right? Not our ethnicity, not what church we went to, not how we feel about vaccinations. That stuff just brings division. If only there were something that could bring unity. So now let's think of this. Get ready to yell. 
When I count to three, just give us the first name of your Lord and Savior. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's harmony. That's unity. And that's what Paul was talking about. In Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. There's no, no longer maskers or demaskers or Democrats or Republicans, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's unity. And that's what we're going to have in heaven. And that's what the Bible calls for. And that's what Jesus prayed for. We should want unity. Amen? Amen. Okay, so before you go, let's see what time it is. Um, this message today is really for Jesus followers, right? This is really just for Christians. Um, because we won't necessarily have unity. The Bible says the light and the darkness can't coexist, right? So we won't necessarily have unity outside the faith. And I think most of us are probably Christians, and we are going to spend forever in the kingdom, so we might as well start practicing. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, or you don't know if you're a Christian, and you don't really know where you're going to spend forever. And I want to give you a really quick little demonstration that I think might be important to you. Because a lot of people have this idea that the way I get to heaven is by doing a lot of good stuff and not doing very much bad stuff. Right? If, you, if I do a million <laughs> good things and a million and one bad things, then, right? I'm not sure, that's not how it works. That's not how God sees it. We've already proven this in every people group. God accepts those that fear him and do what's right in every people group, right? Let me show you a little demonstration again. Because I think a lot of us have this in our head, right? So we talk about being a good person or being a Christian or whatever. <laughs> and we think of it like this, the top shelf Christians, I mean, come on, this is Paul, right? This is Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Billy Graham. Come on. These are your all-star Christians, right? And then here is, like, these are good Christians. They don't cuss much. They, they go to church when they're not at the lake. I mean, these are good, they're good Christians, <laughs> right? You would, these are good people, okay? You would trust them with your car. You would trust them with your kids. And these are, I mean, these are okay people. Right? You would trust them with your car, but not your kids. Right? <laughs> they're okay people. They're, they, they mostly go to the lake instead of church. They're, they're okay people. And then this group down here, these are bad people. Right? You don't want to hang around these people. These are, these, are not, these are not good people. These are immoral people. Right? And then down here, we've got your Hitler, Attila the Hun, right? Los Angeles Laker fans. Right? These... <laughs> <laughs> the sorriest scum. <laughs> Save your emails. It's just a joke, okay? Okay, so this is, so let's go back. Let's, let's review. Super Christians, really good Christians. Okay, Christians, right? Not very good people and real scum. So the question is, who goes to heaven? Who goes, where's the line? I mean, I mean and I'll tell you where, <laughs> a lot of people say the line is just below me. Right? It's like, I'm right here, but I think we're good. It's all about grace, baby. Right? And then up here, we got our people that are, no, no, it's all it's just, everybody below me is going down, right? So I think that's a problem for us to see it that way. And I'll tell you, there's another group of people, and they think the line is just above me. 
well, I, I could never go to heaven. I'm not up here. I'm not here. I'm not even here. I'm down here. Surely there's no room for me in heaven. And you know what you need to see? This. In heaven, there's going to be some superstars. And there's going to be some superstars that are not in heaven. And right down the list, and there's going to be some people from this shelf in heaven. You know why? Because the dividing line is not your behavior. There's only one dividing line. And the dividing line, the line of demarcation, is Jesus. And that's it. And if you go from the side that's without Jesus to the side that's with Jesus, he will rise you up a shelf at a time. But judgment is based on this line. So the question is, which side are you on? If you want to jump, if you want to go from death to life, if you want to go from sin and shame and guilt to forgiveness and acceptance and mercy, Romans 10, 9 says it's pretty easy. You say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Amen. Probably. Almost everybody in this room has already done that. But there might be one that hasn't. And if that's you, I'm not going to waste a lot of time, man. You know who you are. If you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life, I'm just going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you're already a believer, holler out this prayer with us too, man. And let's just encourage people. Let's just pray like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Today I become a Christian. I believe in you as my risen Savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord. So fill me with your spirit. Teach me from your word. And help me to live your way for the rest of my life. Thank you for my salvation. Amen. Okay, almost done. Look, if you became a Christian today, this is a super big deal. If you're watching online, please let us know in the comment section or the chat box, I became a Christian today. If you're here in this room, I hope that you'll go back to our Connection Center and just tell them, I accepted Christ. Today I decided to follow Jesus, right? They've got a little card back there. They'll check that box so that we'll know. They'll give you a little gift, a Bible you can read. I'll call you this week. Maybe I can talk you through if you've got any questions or anything like that. But man, we want to walk these first steps out with you. If you're visiting with us today, I hope that you will go back to the Connection Center and just let them know that you were here. We would love to follow up with a phone call or an email or something and just let you know how much we appreciate you coming to church today. So I hope that whether you became a new Christian today or you've been a Christian your whole life, I hope that if today was your first day or you've been with us for years, I hope today that you will pray with me for unity in our church and in our families. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for Jesus because he's the one that gives us unity. Our unity is in him. So thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for calling us together. Thanks for holding us together by your spirit. And Lord, my prayer is that we can bring the whole world together in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Super quick, if you love the sound of unity but it sounds unreasonable to you, Come to church next week, okay? We're going to talk about how to. Everybody talks about unity. Nobody does anything about it. We're going to talk about how to have unity. Here's what I suggest. You probably have one person in your life that you can't stand to be around because they're wrong about everything. You know that one? You know who they are. Invite them to church next week, and I will straighten them out for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week.